get one cut through one of the bars and I gleefully anticipated six cuts by then and three bars removed. But finally before uh, the first of what will turn out to be seven walls ahead and no quick way over them because they've all got rolls of old barbed wire. Only a little voltmeters left and I found it was only household current they were running through there. And I had to get to that airport and on a flight before I'd end up like those Israelis with smashed up legs. I flew out to the one place where I knew I could not be snatched up too easily. And I again ended up in near on death row, but this time in Karachi. time to go. Stan had been good about it. He said, look, I'll help you cut out on the night. And to cut out, I needed hacksaw blades. Now, I wasn't going to buy them from the ties. The quality would be shit anyway, wouldn't it? Uh, and it would get around. But what did uh, this foreigner need hacksaw? Oh, no, I wouldn't last two seconds. I'd be in trouble, and trouble that I might not be able to buy my way out of. I'd certainly be put in the closed section of um, Building 5. Tiny little cells, no way out. The hacksaw blades came in, in well, they allowed the foreigners um, a bit more leeway with getting food parcels from home. In fact, you could get quite huge things in with tins of stuff. I said to Michael, look, I need these hacksaw blades and they've got to get through. So this parcel arrived huge thing it was, it must have cost about a hundred pounds, uh, just a post. And it was full of uh, Fortnum and Mason jams and condiments and cartons of cigarettes and I'm giving a couple to the guard who's searching the thing. And the hacksaws have been built into two dowel rods on a scroll and the scroll was a kind of religious-y thing. It was the desiderata, which is something, go placidly amid the noise and haste and change what you can and don't change what you can't, that sort of thing. Fitting. Yeah. Um, but the dowel rods were rather heavy having these hacksaw blades in them. But it was, Michael had gone to the trouble of using a radial arm sort of cut the groove in it, put the blades in there, um, some foil so that you couldn't see the teeth of them if they were x-rayed. Uh, and then painted and lacquered and tarted up in every possible way. But that was in the parcel, and when that was picked up, even though the weight of it kind of threw in me, what he then found made him lose interest in that and pass it to the, the side of, yes, you can have that. And because there were cable ties and gaffer tape and everything in there, I said to Michael, I need something to take his mind 
completely away from poking through this stuff. And he'd got the right thing. The guard came out with these magazines. It was the most rank, beyond the pale pornography that he could find. You know, teenage, anal, shit-eating, God knows what. All in high-quality, uh, glossy paper. The guard was a... I mean, you couldn't have a nipple showing in a magazine in, in that place, the hypocrites. Uh, oh, unless you went to have a bit of building one where all the drag queens lived. Um, not exactly real nipples anyway there. No, the, the guard was... Uh, in, I said, but then I just kind of... No, no, he wanted to prove he would... Anyway, very carefully put them underneath his chair for later examination. And uh, I was shooed away. Go on, take your stuff and go. So that did it. I brought the hacksaw blades out just after midnight from the scroll and everything else in the cell had been more or less prepared for it. Bits of furniture had been made in a certain way and um, sets of cupboards with a balsa wood backing which had other... They had my Swiss army knife that I'd managed to get in there and uh, a laser pen which came in handy later. And but really what I didn't account for in my preparations was sound. You can time something. If ever you're escaping from somewhere and you plan to do it in the dead of night and you time it out during the day how long it'll take to walk somewhere, how long some action will take, some process, bear in mind if you're doing it in the dead of night when you're worried about the sound carrying, you can't operate at normal speed. So it had been an hour just to get one cut through one of the bars and I gleefully anticipated six cuts by then and three bars removed. Just drawing that hacksaw across one of the, the bars set off a vibration and a, a thrumming noise that seemed to carry right throughout the quiet prison in the middle of the night. So really I was glued to the cell door which is it's got just bars, it's not like one solid piece of metal. And I'm looking down the corridor to see whether there's any stirrings of the night duty guard who's in his little bed there. Luckily they were mostly drinkers, so they're half slosh. Got a good night's sleep, and I'd made sure they did. Um, yeah, but, and I needed to save my strength a bit, but um, by getting on to two o'clock, um, only uh, one bar had been cut completely through, and it shows you how old this place was, because at that first cut, it sprang away from the rest of the, the frame of the bars, the whole building had twisted sideways, that was making everything very hard to do. So I started working on the other one, and only got three quarters of the way through the second one. There was talk of coming back the next night and continuing on, but I'd alerted everybody by then. Kevin, the American from Hawaii, had come over to get away from drugs in the, in the foreigners' building, and I hadn't told him, of course. I'd warned him, look, Kevin, don't come over, but he wanted to. But he kind of accepted all of that. Now, not in that, one of the cell's occupants that I reluctantly took was Mirage, an Indian guy. He had a noble profession. He was a travel facilitator, people smuggler. Um, got 19 years because he was, uh, it annoyed the Americans too. He was sending, he was part of the, 
Honolulu run, sending Chinese guys over there. His case, what's the matter? They got him, they claimed he had a false visa in one passport and they gave him 19 years for it, adding up every other passport that was in the house, even though they were legitimately issued and all of that kind of thing. But, by far, the, the, I mean, he seemed relatively guilty compared to others, but still, he would have, he was shitting himself. Uh, I had to be very firm with him to stop him from squealing out during the night. Um, in fact, I, I didn't want to alarm the others, but as it looked like he was going to accidentally make a lot of noise to attract attention, because he feared what would happen in the morning when it was discovered, even if I didn't get away, that he was part of it. So he was trying to protect himself, I guess, but so he wanted it to come undone and but I grabbed his ear and whispered into it with a certain amount of clarity and said, Mirage, the only reason I don't kill you now is because it will upset my cellmates and they have jobs to do tonight and I don't want them upset. But believe me, if I hear any more sound out of you tonight, I will do it. They seemed to accept that. It must have been my tone of voice. <laughs> uh, did keep him quiet, though of course I wouldn't have done that. That would have really upset my cellmates. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, so what to do? Time's getting on. I stripped down. Um, I'm three floors up. I can't. Even if I can get through there, I can't go down because there's an awning underneath me, which is all crumbling broken tiles and will shatter to the ground if I put so much as a toe on it. I had to get something that would take me far out into the night sky so that I could drop down from it. I um, managed to score a, a building plaque that was around the place and convinced the building guard that it was going to be a bookshelf. And that it became until I got through that bar and it was slid out of the window and a footstool was refolded from some hinges I had on it to block that building plank in sideways, upright, and poking into the air. It was one of those things that you do it on paper, and there's no way of testing it, but you know that the numbers don't lie. It will hold in that position. It is strong enough to take your weight, but it, it's a relief when it does. I was getting ready to go out. I'd. Um, my little bed frame had, uh, was made with woven um, mesh underneath, which is actually 100 metres of army boot webbing from the army boot factory. That was to be my rope. I had a shoulder bag, but that was about it. And I'd had to squeeze through this little gap, providing Stem could pull up that one bar that was three quarters cut, enough for me to squeeze through. As I was getting ready to go out, I turned to see Little Jet, failed bus robber and faithful manservant, all dressed up in his Sunday go-to-meeting visiting room best, with his uh, tissue in the top pocket and his letters and photos wrapped up in plastic. And he's ready to come with me through thick or thin. It was kind of moving at the time, I thought. But I had to convince him that no, he, he, he couldn't come. And he couldn't have. He would have slowed me down. It would have been ridiculous. There would have been talk, discussions, ideas. 
None of that. None of that. None of that. There was no time. I managed to squeeze through these bars, hang on to the plank, but the curious thing was as soon as I was outside of that cell, into the night sky, night I haven't seen for over two years, never seen the stars at night, no, many because of Bangkok City, light pollution and all of that, but still outside, by myself, alone, never been alone for all that time. Clinging to the bars, yes, high up in the air, true, but I was no longer part of that world. It's somehow free again. But a memory of a false freedom came quickly back and I kind of snapped out of that reverie and then inched my way to the end of this plank, looped the army boot webbing over it and let that drop to the ground, just clear of the awning. I had splinters in my hand, but I didn't have to worry about those too much because it's not so easy to abseil. You need the right kind of rope for that. I would learnt because halfway down I'm just sliding through this, this webbing, which is nylon really. And well, it cleared the splinters from my hands and took about three layers of skin off. But when I hit the soft ground and rolled over and, and looked at my hands, my only thought was, Am I going to bleed on something and make it look bad later? Do they, do they work? And that's the way you think. When you need to be able to do something, if you hurt yourself, there's nothing about, did that hurt? It's, do I still function? Have I lost anything? I hadn't. So I hugged the walls, went to the office, opened it. I'd even had the cupboard doors unlocked of my goods there and took out six picture frames that Sten had been working on. He pretended the last six months that he was going to take up oil painting, had to make some solid frames over which he'd stretched the canvas. We got him this, we got him that. He actually drew a couple of hideous paintings. Um, but these picture frames were going to be the, the rungs of a ladder. I had to then go to the factory which made um, little painted boxes for Chinese funerals that were kind of offering gifts for the dead. But the important thing was in this factory that they had long bamboo poles, perhaps three inches on one end and an inch at the other, about nine or ten feet long. Ideal for making a ladder out of. Of course, again, everything's a bit different. They'd repaired a gap in the, the mesh where I planned to get in. I had to squeak off some very noisy nails um, with my... Well, the Swiss Army knife was taking too long. I had to risk a big squeak and, and pull it aside. I got into that factory. There were no lights and I couldn't turn any on. So I had to hold a, a pen torch that I'd nicked from somewhere in my teeth as I'd lay down the long bamboo poles, put the uh, picture frames between them and use the gaffer tape to tie them together. So I had two quite long ladders then. But I'm stuck in a factory in the middle of uh, Building 6 and no real way out the way I came, so I had to break out of that factory by going to the end of it, to the top of it, to the roof of it, and getting into the roof gap and dropping down into the auto repair shop 
we allowed the, one of the ladders to the ground and then inch the other one through. But you can imagine this is, you know, Christopher, I, I've never liked it in movies when they have the an escape film in a prison and the actual escape part seems to take about 10 minutes. You know, they do this and they do that, and but it's nothing like that. That prisons are, are full of corridors and, and things that stop you and things that have to be dealt with and all of those things take time. I had to slide my ladders out from the auto repair shop under a gate, came around and I'm still in building six and I haven't even gone over the first wall. I've got an extra bamboo pole. I knew that would be useful. And a little S-hook. Just a metal hook of S, the kind you find on a kitchen rack holding pots and pans. Collected on my way, the way everything had been collected, the, the laser pointer had stolen from some vice consul on an embassy visit. Um, they... You just don't know what will be useful, so take it all and, and see what you need. So um, as I'm getting on to 3.20 or something, I'm finally before uh, the first of what will turn out to be seven walls ahead. And no quick way over them because they've all got rolls of old barbed wire. Um, fortunately not razor wire because that's so clingy. Um, you, you'll know razor wire when you see it. It looks like it's got little barbs on it and they really do stick into anything. Bits of clothing, um, bags, towels, anything you throw over them gets, doesn't even go in position. It's good at sticking into flesh as well. I think it's outlawed by, outlawed by certain conventions in the UN. Oh. So I would have to find a, a quicker way of dealing with those top fences. The first one I'd hook down with my S-hook and then anchor that to the ground so it would be clear and I could park my ladder. I joined the two ladders together and they made it very... When I say they were together, they made about eight metres. It doesn't sound a lot. Perhaps it was ten metres. But that is a very, that's higher than your house, mostly. Um, and awkward to carry around. But um, I got that over the first fence, and then I thought I was in building five, but no, I wasn't. Um, then I had to move on to somewhere... Well, I was really completely lost. I just kept on going for walls, and when I got to a wall, instead of dealing with the barbed wire, I would push my ladder halfway up over that barbed wire and it would get caught a bit and I'd have to lift it and it would tear at some of the gaffer tape but I'd give my good watch to my uh, little manservant jet and I'd kept an old Casio but it was a solid little thing and it survived. Time was against me and very dehydrating this. Uh, I, I got into a, a, another building which looked a bit familiar or at least it smelled familiar. It was not the new modern hospital that somebody had paid for. I think it was a, a corrupt major in the police force who'd been arrested for murdering a couple of people. Um, but it was the old hospital and they kept the, uh, the AIDS patients, sufferers, in there. There was no treatment or cure in those days for it. Well, still no cure for it. But they were just put there to die. 
Um, so that kind of told me I was getting in the right direction. In fact, I, I looked up to see um, their little ghostly faces looking at me in the moonlight, and their strange grey skin and the putrid smell of their rotting flesh. If they'd been regular prisoners, I'm sure they would have made a noise or called for the guard or done something, but these people were like me, on their way to death and accustomed to the idea of it, so they let me pass. There was a couple of other fences to go, I ran into some barbed wire thing and I had to go underneath it, and then got to, finally, a stretch of outer wall between two of the guard towers. I could see the outlines of the guard moving a little bit around, but I think because they were above the moat, they were so infested with mosquitoes, the guard used to kind of throw a mosquito net over himself and stay underneath the, the tower edge, so that, that was favourable. And the other one, I don't know if there was somebody in it. But there was an obstacle. <clears throat> Something we called Marsbar Creek was a six-foot-wide or seven-foot-wide moat ran around the inside. It was actually a sewer. I had no problems about wading through a sewer at this point, but... Um, I mean, I'd have to clean myself up extra, though it was already pretty muddy. But this sewer thing, it was full of tangled barbed wire. I couldn't get my ladder over it. And I, it was after five o'clock. I had to figure out a way to get this too long ladder over the other side of the moat onto a stretch of ground that was no more than, I don't know, 40 centimetres wide, about a, a foot and a half barely enough ground to stand on before this huge wall with the electricity on top. I did kind of figure out a plan. It's a kind of long thing to explain, but it involved breaking off the smallest piece of one of the ladders, anchoring one corner of that ladder in the ground, pushing it over the moat, running back and forth out of the other side. And when I'm on the side I want to be, I can then use some of my rope to lift it up and over, uh, just swinging it like a swinging crane over to my side. Then climb underneath it and push it up slowly as I walk along so it doesn't make too much noise but just touches the wall. I realised, well, when I thought about it later on, if I'd been with anybody else, I, I suppose you could say if you think your plan is okay, if you think you will survive through it, don't bring along somebody else for company. Even somebody that you think might be of some use in some way, if it's not necessary, don't do it, because it will take you time. You will have arguments about things. I can imagine the discussions about how to get this ladder closer to the wall. It, we wouldn't have made it. We wouldn't have made it, even with Sten. But I did, and fortunately, it was only just the glow of dawn as I got to the top of the outer wall. Okay, there was, I was a little bit short, and the electric wire was there. But Martin, the anarchist electrician Englishman, who was uh, still in there, had made me a little voltmeters, and I, and I found it was only household current they were running through there. Okay, you don't want to be clinging to that, but it didn't have a high enough amperage to arc 
across me if I was careful. Even so, um, I did, as I was levering myself over that top, I did feel some tingling of residual current going through my sweat, um, which I believed had uh, disturbed some others at that point years ago, and they'd fallen off the wall. And I used the last of my rope to drop down to the other side. Now, the, the plan was to go across the moat by putting my towel and clothes into a plastic bag, tying a tight, swimming across, but there was no time, no time. No one was coming. All I could do was I cleaned myself up, put on long khaki trousers, which I had. I wanted to look like, um, from a distance, the guards used to wear long khaki trousers. But what about my face? I used to work, well, nominally my job in there was being a, another assembler in the umbrella factory. They made pop-up umbrellas. And I'd taken one of these with me. And there was just enough rain to justify putting it up. So I put up that umbrella and walked to the front of the prison because I knew by then I was not where I thought I was at the back of the prison, but on the side of the front and up there was the main gate. To the side of the main gate, there was a way across the big moat. I'd seen that from the, the van coming back from court. So I kept that, hugged that umbrella low to me, just wanting to have a little peek up at the guard towers to see. And I shouldn't have done it, but I didn't. What's the difference? What's it going to tell you? Have you got any evasive action if you see something you don't want? It's like an old robber. Bank robber told me once, they would, if you're running around and something's going on and there's somebody perhaps searching for you, don't poke your head around the corner, walk around the damn corner. You poke your head around the corner, they're going to see you anyway, and then you've lost any advantage. But if you don't know what's coming, you might as well go for it. At least you look like you're walking naturally. So keeping that... Uh, the old lag's advice in mind, I just kept marching forward, even though I did see in the distance one guard sort of looking down. But, you know, I always thought he must have looked down, seen the khaki pants and the umbrella, and thought it was a, a prison officer sneaking in, as they did, late to work around the side, so the boss didn't see them coming to work. And besides, escaping prisoners don't use umbrellas, do they? I'm not worried about a bit of rain on them. They're busy making themselves look like escaping prisoners by running everywhere. Not strolling. You know, the guy who had my credit cards was coming to work uh, just that morning as I was leaving. I don't know what it is about we humans, but we recognize each other's body language and gait and movement before we recognize anything else. You can see a friend coming down the street is somehow familiar, because that's the way he or she walks. I think he saw something about the way I was carrying myself, because he passed me in his car, his new car, I should have, and there um, eh, wasn't enough to stop or find out, and he couldn't see the face, but just as well I had that umbrella still. And I got to the main road, that road that had taken me back to the prison after every court session. And it had a pedestrian uh, set of stairs, huge thing, like a gantry going over the eight-lane highway. 
walked up to the top of that and turned around and looked at the prison. And again, uh, like it was when I was clinging to the wall and first out, it seemed a lifetime away. The 12,000 people stuck in there, I thought to myself, why are they doing it? Why are they there? They outnumbered them so much. But you, we could ask that of any prison. Why does anybody stay there? They do, I guess, because they've got nowhere to go, but I, I had somewhere to go. I had to go and get some documents, a passport that my friend Charlie had uh, arranged for me, or I hoped he had, and I had to get to that airport and on a flight before I'd end up like those Israelis with smashed up legs. <laughs> so yeah, congratulations on your escape. That must be still one of the greatest uh, days, nights, mornings of your life. And your life could have panned out very differently had you not made that escape. I was, as you say, it was something to sort of celebrate, but I, what do they say? Many's the slip, twixt cup and lip. So you can get almost to the end of your tea ceremony and... and yeah, they do say the last 10% where you're sort of closest to the yes, finish line is where most wrong. Well, um, I had to go and do something that others had all failed on um, because they couldn't trust anybody or word had got out. And I, was, I had the key to this flat. It was sealed in a wooden balsa wood tag and I had to break to get it out. It was like that because if I'd been caught and tortured and had a key on me, they'd want to know what the key belonged to and would have not been satisfied until it turned a lock somewhere around town. So uh, if I'd lied to them, they, they would have had something else to do with question me about. No, I, I, I broke that key out and went to an address I'd never been to before. Took a couple of taxis to get there. Uh, opened the door. Uh, there was actually some kid in there, sleeping in there. He was kind of scratching his head. Oh, he, Charlie must have said something about this David that he saw. What, what happened? Oh, I got bail. It's all right. I'm heading for the little loo at the back there. Uh, kid went back to sleep because it's what. 6.45 by then, something like that, getting on to 7. And I go into the toilet as I was instructed, found the mirror behind the loo, yes, there was a mirror, and then started feeling around the back of it for an envelope which should have been there. And all the time, as my fingers are on the edge, I'm thinking, wait a minute, you did 10 years in Australia, you've been in other jails and you know perfectly well that every time you ask somebody to do something, they never do it. And the more extraordinary the thing, the less likely that Charlie would have taken my old radio operator's license and taken the photograph of that and had it copied to the right size and then put in a freshly stolen passport, it couldn't be more than three weeks old, had an entry stamp put in it and then the papers attached to it and the visa filled out and all of that to be on the computer. Oh, am I kidding myself? But I found the corner of an envelope. I took it out and was rewarded with a slightly grainy image of my face in there. And then said my goodbyes, jumped in a taxi straight to the airport. 
Um, went to a long-term luggage depot where a friend had left an overnight bag with some toiletries and a change of clothes. And even that little arrangement took some uh, making and doing to instill enough confidence in somebody to go and do this thing. I mean, you think, I'll, I'll do this for Christopher, but he's fucked really. I mean, <laughs> they're never going to pick this up from the airport locker. But it was there. This is the kind of people. Michael, who is in his shed working somewhere, putting these hacksaw blades in a place for thousands of miles away for a thing that's never happened. It is the kind of people who, as when I rang Michael for the first time in the Chinese-run coffee shop with inside the prison and I rented the, one of the rear cell phones and spoken to him, I went to explain everything and he said, he interrupted, he said, David, I know, we haven't spoken for a year and a half. Don't explain anything. Just tell me where I've got to be and what I've got to bring. And that's what you want. And it was another such friend who'd left their clothes for me. And I was looking at the big board and put my remaining uh, ATM card in uh, into the ATM, pressed out the numbers, deciding only, well, I need to draw everything I can from the daily limit to, to get in both of these cards. The screen says, refer to bank, means it's not giving me any money. That piece of plastic's useless. My time here is useless in a few hours. I push the second one in, it pays out. I take the limit, 500. Where can I go for 500? I went to Singapore. Hmm. Some people might quibble with that choice, but uh, it was only an hour away by flight. I could afford it. Um, there was a flight leaving within 25 minutes, good, 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 because I'd heard from the Chiang Mai thing that guards had been at the airport within two hours or something like that. Uh, got a ticket, sweated through immigration, going through another set of what-ifs, as he typed on this stolen passport the name that was in it, with a my Chinese friends had gone to the trouble of getting somebody who was working at the airport to get into the immigration computer and put my day of landing in there uh, on that machine. Stamped it out, fine. Even the takeoff was delayed by a few sweaty minutes. Some mumbled announcement about one passenger something something. Satisfying door, th door thump in the air. Slugged down some water, I didn't want anything else patched up my hands in the loo, they were still weeping a bit from the burns. Looked to see that I matched this passport, found fault with it on the journey. Didn't like the stitching, didn't like the way it was that, didn't like the way it was this. Landed at Singapore. Now, the man at immigration in Singapore didn't like that passport any more than I did, even after 30 seconds looking at it, because of that old photo. So he slid it to the ultraviolet light. And I'm thinking, all right, Charlie, I pray to all the Chinese gods of boo and lord and fire and rain that they'd taken the trouble to get the ultraviolet ink of the three little crowns that have got to be there. And sure enough, it all came up under the UV lamp. And that was it. Another two taxis, three-star hotel, never take a five-star, don't take a one. Five-star, it's full of nosy people, spies, informers. Three-star good, boring businessman on the move, that kind of stuff. Checked in, got a room. Local shop, bought some swimming trunks, top floor, swimming pool, 
dived in, swam end to end in the cool waters there of freedom, lifted myself up, draining with the water from the last two years, and hung over the balcony to the Changi Hills and wondered, where to? <laughs> where to? I dive straight back in that pool. <laughs> right, so, I, I knew, as I was sitting in my hotel room, I had a little trouble at first getting my friends to respond and start sending me new documentations and money, credit cards, because they'd had so many people over the last couple of years come to them. Friend of David, New Roman Joe, he called me, he wants this, he wants that. They'd been cleaned out so often, they weren't accepting what I'd had in place, which was a fax sent to a local print shop. It wasn't until they read it in the news, when the newspaper reports started coming out, that they thought, this is for real. And then they sprang into action. The hotel received a package with a new passport in it and um, another couple of credit cards. And then I thought, I'd better get moving. And sure enough, I think if people have sat through this, uh, the uh, Christian, if they's, uh, they've sat through this long, they might be wondering if they were on the other side, how they would trace somebody who had gone through an airport, possibly or not, that might have left by an airport that day. And they would conclude probably what I did in that hotel room with nothing much else to think about, that what you do is gather up all the departure slips for the day, sift through the locals, dismiss those, check out the Asian names, get all the foreign devils, the Canadians, the Americans, the British, the New Zealanders, all of that. Take those names <coughs> and cross-check with the embassy against lost missing or stolen passports. And that would get you a name if there was one. And Charles McClintock would have been amongst those names. And I don't know how I remember it after all these years, but I do. But luckily, as I went down to a, a travel agency there and got a ticket, in those days it was before the passports were all linked into ticketing. You know, those tickets were handwritten, that's where I went to a flea bag travel agency rather than to the airport or the airline because they'd look at my passport and type it out pretty much as it was. This idiot asked me my name and I wrote it out for him all backwards. It wasn't McClintock, it was uh, Charles, Mr. Charles George or whatever, so I was Mr. George there and that ticket would be alright at the check-in desk because yeah, they always get that wrong. It didn't matter. They weren't troublemaking damn terrorists blowing things up and making life difficult for you know, honest smuggler, <laughs> as it would soon follow. I flew out to the one place where I knew I could not be snatched up too easily, and that was a place I'd been before uh, years earlier and started going since the mid-70s, and that was into Baluchistan which is a province of Pakistan. And people think Pakistan is one place, it's nothing of the kind. There's Sindhi, there's Baluchi, there's Pashto. Uh, there's a lot of languages up there. 
spoken and it might as well be a lot of different countries. And my friend from earlier back then, uh, his lordship, Mir Nurjahan Magsi, he had his own little feudal estates out in Baluchistan, and that's where I found myself as quick as I could get. And there I was under protection. Nobody would come looking for me. So you could finally relax on a arrival there. It was yeah, there I knew this weight was off your shoulders. Lawless enough, yet I had friends enough. Um, You've made it to freedom. People wanted me alive. People wanted me safe. There was no price to sell me for because I was more value alive than dead. Because I was aware that the value of me being alive depended on my generating uh, wealth for everybody around, all those I touched. Absolutely. Okay, for a while I was his lordship's foreigner. It was uh, quite a thing for if you were if you were a tribal lord of any account, you had your own foreigner. I suppose it was back like in the the days of the Raj, the token the, foreigner. The princelings had the German arms advisor or or the Englishman who um, arranged an education for their useless sons so they'd be proper little English gents. I was all of those things, and Westman advisor to his lordship. Mm. Most of the time I didn't have to do anything. I, I'd, uh, I, I just had to stroll around and look back and forth a couple of times so his lordship could say to his friends, see this man, he's my Gora, which means there, well, it sort of means white man, but a horse as well. Uh, he knows everything about what you're talking about. It was kind of like he could use me as a guarantee in his dealings that don't fool me in Dubai, or because they, all those Baluchis along there, they, they have these dows and other boats that cross over and, and, and smuggle things in. And through to Afghanistan, um, where I'd been before, just as the, the Russians were on their way out. Um, and they were a bit suspicious of foreigners. But that's where I'd met Norjohn back in those days. I'd uh, set out that way with uh, my Italian wife and a bunch of friends, and we were going to take the old Silk Road through the lands there, set up campaign tents like little pretend Alexander the Greats. <laughs> and uh, we'd helped each other across a couple of border crossings. But things would change there, uh, in that part of the world. Um, but I was safe enough for then. Mm. Um, after, uh, after a few weeks at uh, his lordship's little estate, he'd have people lined up down the bottom, petitioners, come to see him to see if he could solve their problems. And... Um, he came to me and then explained what he could do and what he couldn't do. Um, he showed me some hash, which was pretty good quality. <clears throat> he could, there was no limit on, on what he could do with that. Um, <clears throat> some things he, he, he could get opium, but he didn't want to have to do business across the border with the 
heroin makers, and I was quite happy enough with that. I'd, that business had uh, caused me enough trouble, you know, personally, as much as anything. Um, and what I, it, it was sort of he, he kind of it was willing to uh, do anything for me um, that was within his powers, but in a, in a way they were limited. So we took a couple of trips to Dubai and were working out on um, some smuggling routes mm. and so on. Dubai must have been very different back in that day. Well, um, yes, and it. it it, um, no skyscrapers around, that's sure. None of the uh, empty skyscrapers, but there were there were a few, and there was a um, uh, some modern apartment blocks, and I think the airport's been kind of remodelled since then, but they still had a big uh, transit section, which was which was quite good. Um, but it was fairly relaxed. They didn't want to know what you got up to, and, and didn't care. Pakistan could have had its own little Dubai. The, the Prime Minister before, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, who had been executed by um, one of the generals there, um, he wanted to set up Guada down on the coast as a kind of free port. Um, and it was politically difficult for him to do because it would have had gambling and drinking and all of that. Um, he hadn't figured out a way of distancing himself from it. Um, but, and his enemies would have used it against him, but he didn't live long enough to do anything about that. But I, I was, um, I really mostly wanted to, just to return to Europe and, and find out what was what. Uh, <clears throat> that long interrupted journey that had begun um, years earlier. And to get there was going to be not so easy. The quality of the passports I could get were very bad in in, in Pakistan. Ancient uh, British ones, the ones that used to have a little window in them where there was handwritten the identity of it. Others where they they faked everything and restitched them, they weren't any good. So I was kind of stuck there until I got English friends to to arrange them. But um, I was running out of resources and um, realized I, I knew that when I, it was probable by the time I got back to Europe and came back to the UK that I probably wouldn't have much. I would have used everything to get where I was going. And in, in fact, that was the case. I did find myself with, um, I mean, it had been years after all. I did, didn't have any European contacts left much. I found that I, it would take a long time to find people. I couldn't afford to do it. I ended up landing in Stockholm um, with nothing more than a name and a telephone but it was the right person at the right time. I knew it was the right person because I'd been given it as a, as a useful person. I was very uncertain landing there. I was quite nervous traveling around. I'd flown out 
from Islamabad, gone through Oslo. I had to go somewhere where I could find clothes that looked European. Um, I, I bought different things and they were kind of ill-fitting. I kind of know why so many uh, people from that part of the world land in Europe and look like their clothes are ill-fitting. It's hard to get anything there. By the time I arrived at Athens, um, I was quite nervous. I, I don't know why. Sure, the passport wasn't particularly good, but I just about stumbled into the open air from there and took the trains to go to Stockholm, which was quite an expensive way to, to do it. So I was absolutely cleaned out. And when I rang this guy, he said, Oh, okay, um, come and see me. And I walked in. I knew it would have to be somebody that I could trust. And this was my first new European contact. I looked around the house. He was supposed to be called a, a journalist, but he was a picture editor. But he had all the signs that experience had taught me were good. He was a bit of a loner. The photographs on the wall were just a family, but he was neat. He was a collector, a reader. Um, he was careful, a little fastidious. We chit-chatted about the wicked, evil world for a while. And he turned to me and said, Do you have cargo? Yes, I said. I do. He said, I thought you might. <laughs> because it was only... This number wouldn't have been given out if it wasn't. And within four hours, I had close to 200,000 pounds as opposed to 20 pounds when I'd left London from a Bayswater, Paddington, shitty, low-rent backpackers hotel with scratchy towels and miniature bars of soap. And by the next day, I'd seen the money changes and I was transformed. So, within six months, I was a gentleman again, under a new name, with a muse house down in Chelsea and a life. All a fabrication, but the life of a London gentleman. And unfortunately... And so what year was that then? So you were hoping to get to London in 93, but what year did it turn out to be? 96, was it, by this point, or 97? It was 97 Yeah. by the time I reached London. So uh, you did well, it was four years late, but it could have quite easily been 25 or if not more years It could have late. been, and I, I could have been completely impoverished. And I, the, the six degrees of separation is probably about three in the smuggling and uh, narcotics world. People know people who know people. So once you put the thread through and pull on it and all tightens together, you find you'll, you'll, you'll know people. And, and I, I worked well putting all that together within the first few months. Um, I found I'd, I had uh, one flat in Earl's Court, I had this news house. Um, my morning routine was to wake up, go to the bakery, go to Holmes Place, which was a health club around the corner, and take a swim and get a little exercise. Get back, have a shower, switch on five cell phones, uh, which had various links to different links so that there would be a chain. But, of course, the 
important information would be down on. People forget them now, but this was just up to before the 2000s. People did their interneting at internet cafes. And they did their computer work mostly there too, and London was full of them. And certainly in South Kensington on the corner there was a perfect place. It had a few computers, it had uh, fax machines coming in. I'd see guys from all over the world, including newly liberated Russians running around. They would prove difficult in years to come. And they had a little row of boxes. I said to the guy there, what, what's that? Oh, you can rent a box and this can be your address. I'll take two, I said. <laughs> One for my friend, too. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it was... Oh, and I met a girl. Yeah. You know that's going to be trouble in the end. But I'd sort of retired. That was the thing. I'd... Well, it didn't sound uh, like it with five phones on the go. But... Oh, no, no. When I say retired, I mean after that. Yes. Um... I still had the people. I still had a bit of a network that I'd built up again. Yeah. Uh, I had most of Scandinavia uh, in different places in Denmark and Stockholm. And Stockholm's a great city, really. It's uh, so civilized, so pleasant. Uh, sometimes I used to go there just to get away from London. Uh, I really think I could offer that as a therapy for people where you want to really relax and not just go to some retreat. I'll take you to where nobody knows you're here. Nobody knows your name. Nobody knows of your existence. When you rest there, I've known where I put you. I'm the only one. So you can just be alive and free. Mm. I've chosen this hotel. Why? What a random note. Because there's six ways in. Two hotels are being built together and they're joined by a firewall. So if anything could happen, you could go through to the other one. Plus, I've got your backup documents in the um, cupboard that holds the fire hose reel on the seventh floor. Just feel along the top. That's a false panel there. Paul, walk from one hotel. Don't like what you see in one world, one life? Walk out of it into another and take those documents out and out the other hotel door and you know, I, I thought that was you know there was a transit lounge in Dubai don't give anyone ideas David they'd be getting in touch with you asking to escape well if they were unjustly treated I couldn't do it possibly of course <laughs> on the other hand I might inspire them by thoughts of freedom into some course of action which I see them well they you know the most uh, safe and free in a way you can be while still being in in some sort of protected from the world environment where where, where do you imagine that might be do you would you picture a desert island somewhere i mean a, a, i went to a caribbean one to have a think that the boatman I asked him for an island that nobody was ever living on. That, that didn't seem anything much. In the Dubai Transit Lounge, and this is even more so today, it has a hotel. This is for passengers between flights who might be stuck there for 12 hours. And this hotel is in a completely stateless environment. You've got off one plane, but you haven't entered into the Emirates. 
you're in this hotel, which is serviced by also stateless people who've crossed to the airside, and it's okay. I suppose it doesn't have really windows to the outside world, but it's got these triple thick glass that looks down upon the shopping uh, areas of the, the shopping mall there. But I, I remember being in some of those in my travels, and I, I'd keep a list of all huge airports that had hotels in the state of nowhere, and sometimes just go in there and, and spend the night, you know, add an extra 12 hours to my trip so that I could have the, the great comfort of just nothing, no one, not even known as being in existence anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a separate set of identities to, to go with that. It was Belize, uh, you, you can start a company there, you send the money, and they'll issue um, that company with uh, charge cards to whatever company members they are. So, you've got the account there in any name that the charge card goes with. So if you happen to have the identity to go along with it, you've got the plastic to back it up. And a uh, guy down the road does driver's licenses, and you change that one for an intermediate one, let's just say Malta, for example, because a Maltese driver's license can be swapped for a British one directly without having to do any troublesome tests or anything like that. There's a list of about eight countries that'll accept swapovers like that. But how did you keep your mind sort of busy where you've got a, such a problem-solving mind that it can be... Oh, you mean now? Yes, it can be a little well, bit mischievous and likes to... Uh... I, so, 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 yeah, how do you uh, keep yourself out of trouble like that these days, David? Well, um, I, the work that I do, putting up CCTV cameras and... Um, so you like finding troubles rather than getting in trouble these days? Yeah, and it's surprising. I do... Um, a bit of locksmithing and changing like that, so some old skills come back into use, and also uh, electricals. What's your company called, David? It, it isn't. It's, I'm just referred by uh, people who know me. How can people get in touch with you then if they need any work done? Oh well, um, on 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 my channel, my YouTube Email? channel. Um, yeah, there's a contact on davidmcmillan.net. Um, so yeah, as David's just mentioned, he's got his own YouTube channel that's absolutely fantastic. So go and check that out, guys. The link's below in the description. Yeah, um, people contact me for all sorts of reasons. I, I sign copies of Unforgiving Destiny for them. Um, so yeah, on top of, like I just mentioned, books as well that are on Amazon, audio books as well. So if you haven't, mm. check them out, support him. As you can tell, he's a uh, highly recommended audio. Uh, well, people haven't got time to read, have they? Yeah, and obviously you've got such a great way of talking that's uh, so engaging and riveting, you know? Well, that was the, uh, I think, probably the, the future of books is probably in audio. And, I, and there's quite a few I'd like to do. It's so rare that people actually read these days when I talk to my friends. I mean, I'm one of the only mm. one that actually reads these days. It's... I don't know how you get time to do it, really. Yeah. So the, the jobs that I end up getting... Um, Often there's not a things where there's a certain amount of delicacy involved. If some troublesome tenant has to go and the locks have got to be changed in a certain amount of time. And now this might sound strange given my background, and, and people know, but people are more relaxed about me putting the hidden cameras in their workplaces and uh, uh, companies and homes 
And on my phone, I've probably got access to the insides of homes of 60 people around London um, and many more businesses. But um, I suppose they know I can keep a secret. That's why they do it. Absolutely. Um, that does keep me busy. Um, and of course, I suppose um, and this week, in the last few weeks, with the transition in Afghanistan, has kind of taken me back to the old days there. Because between the 70s and then the 80s, and then into the um, early 2000, um, a lot of the people I met crossed in and over through Afghanistan. And I found such a, a mismatch between the, everything that happened with um, Osama bin Laden, the, the terror, the war on terror, the things that were done, and the misunderstanding that people have about it. You know, there's still people who think that somehow Iraq had something to do with the Twin Towers. Mm. Um, and Bin Khalid was the, um, the, the one that was behind the, um, the New York plane attack. But he, he barely got a mention at the time. The first takeover in Afghanistan was by supporting the Northern Alliance to clear out the Taliban, and they'd only been a... The Taliban are just a bunch of crooks. When I was offered my own little fiefdom across the border in Afghanistan, I, I asked, which of you guys are Taliban and which are... No, well, the same like you, David. We're all just... Well, they didn't use that word, but they meant that we're all just crooks, businessmen. So it wasn't like they really even existed, but they'd all come together to kind of agree to be one thing or other. And there was a kind of public face and somebody who might have done the stonings. And in fact, the guy who called himself in charge of the justice ministry that couldn't find any um, surgeon to do the amputations used to do them himself. He kind of liked it. But, but this was all local. It's local. It's, it's not... There is no real government. It's been so lawless for so long. But I knew if I'd taken their offer of uh, having my own little state within a state, in, and this was just before 9-11, I could see there was a bit of trouble. In fact, I could see people... My hosts, one of them was in the army, one of them was a spook, somebody else was something. Um, I said, I'll go for a walk in this town. If you don't think I'm safe enough to walk around, then it's the wrong town. But I did say some, see some kind of some kind of rather dedicated-looking guys I saw through the fence playing with, um, well, what would you call it? German rocket fuel. It's when you mix one chemical with another. They used to use it in that uh, rocket that was meant to... What was it, the ME-262? Anyway, you put the two chemicals together and they make an explosion. And I thought, well... This is not the kind of place I want to be. And within six months, uh, the towers came down. And for everybody, including your humble narrator and honest smoke, there's nothing to melt away into there. I would be dependent on all of the people around me. And in a sense, I'd become, I would have left a lot of other prisons to become a prisoner mm. in, in their world too.
So a lot of people have ended up in Dubai, haven't they? These people you read about, these international smugglers, they're uh, stuck there. Um, and, and it can happen easily enough. And besides, the secret to being able to have some place to live and work and do what you want is to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. And you can be the guy next door. And it doesn't matter. Absolutely. This idea of having some, you know, Dr. Knows Island somewhere. Whoever thought that was a good idea? An island surrounded by water, no way off. I've always gone for dual buildings. One office where it backs up against another set of buildings in the street behind, and you have a rented one there. So you've got the passageway between the two. You do lots of interesting things there. So even though you obviously thankfully are now retired as a criminal, have you still got a criminal mind? Do you still think that? Well, I often think, you know, when somebody gets... There was a guy called Carlos Gohan. He was um, a big cheese at a Nissan, Renault, and was working out of Japan. He, he was saw, accused... Yeah. He was arrested there, wasn't he? Huge, huge robbery, wasn't it? A fraud, wasn't it? it was, uh, yeah, well... It was a very tangled one, and it involved accusations that he took bribes, that he took commissions that he shouldn't, that he used company money for investments and rebuilding his Beirut house. Interesting background, born in South America, I think. Um, uh, Beiruti uh, parents on one side, his dad got in trouble too when he was a kid. His dad was jailed for murder or something. Anyway, um, he kind of saw his independent mind, a kind of stateless person. Rather than, in Japan, there's a 99% conviction rate, so I can imagine he wanted to get out of Dodge City. And it was organized by an American guy, and supposedly the American guy's son, but that's denied. But he was packed inside a big speaker box uh, after he went up to... Um, Osaka by train and then flown out by private jet from a Turkish company which um, landed in Turkey. Yes, I think it was a plane change in Turkey. He went to Beirut because he has French, Lebanese and uh, some other citizenship as well. Um, yeah, I think one South American country says, anyway, plenty of passports, good thing to end, Carlos. Uh, you know, don't have to tell you that. And his wife was Johnny on the spot too, Joanne on the spot, and had made sure that this all went through. And he's kind of welcomed as a bit of a hero. But getting back to your point, yeah, I did look at that problem he had, how it was solved, how what I disagreed with, what I thought was the wrong way of going about it. Um, I mean, after all, the pilots end up getting put in jail. Uh, so did the American, was extradited from the US to Japan to face charges on that, and they got a couple of years. Carlos is the only free man out of the whole deal. Now, there were ways that were, I thought, would have been better. You know, it's so tempting, even there was a guy called um, uh, Manuel Noriega, old pineapple face, chief of uh, Panama for many years. He ended up in one of those hideous American super supermaxes under the desert somewhere where you've got a block of cement into which is a piece of steel and double doors. Um, you know, I'd sit there thinking, what would it take to get Pineapple Face out of jail? So 
something, wouldn't it? But, but look at Shorty Goodsman from uh, Mexico. Sinaloa, yeah. Uh, that was an escape to remember, wasn't it? Yeah, I know. There's no escape in America, is there? And no. surely, like this was a facade, because surely when there's tunnels getting dug into the hotel, into the prison, Look, people think that they that, know that, that, that obviously you surely must have paid off everyone, and it's just a facade. Look, there is a temptation. Because obviously to the say, first the first time he had, they said he got taken out in the laundry basket, right. but, I, but surely he just walked out. This is just a story, isn't it? I um, maybe I'm being romantic about it, but I like to think that it's not um, a story. Yes. Um, because of this, from my own experience, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, you can't pay off everybody within any group. If you need to pay off five staff, there's bound to be two of them mm. who okay. won't take it. Okay. Uh, the number of times I've been told by prison officers, yeah, not when I'm on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, because that guy's a bastard and you can't trust this. And, you know, the list of their fellow workers who can't be trusted. Now, people often think that about Thailand. Surely, yes. why do I go through all this elaborate stuff if I had a few quid, a couple of bucks? Well, you, you didn't. The thing yeah. is, yours is almost better than his because obviously you did it on your own, which is for the help of a few yeah. prisoners. He had yeah. hundreds of millions and he had a tunnel dug all the way to his shower and all he had to do was jump on the bike at the bottom of the tunnel yeah. to ride to the house that they'd bought nearest. You know, it's the bike part of it. It's, it's fantastic, the only part wasn't it? that I started to scratch my tune about thinking something not quite right there mm. this is okay any but the bike was very low down he had to kind of hug it it i think there was somebody else there um helping him on, on that part or maybe maybe there was some other element there could have been something closer to the prison sure he did go through the shower i, I completely believe the down through the shower thing into a tunnel and along somewhere but whether it was to the farmhouse a mile away um, I find that impressive that that was kept a secret yeah no it was uh, so fantastic apparently there's so many workers at the farmhouse there was and yeah, all this sort of stuff yeah, for a given period yeah. of time but um, obviously it's uh, such a shame that he ended up getting caught so shortly after trying to sort of sell his story and trying to become famous. I, I've been thinking of putting together a collection of you know, the, the best escapes that uh, I've come across and, and how it could have been better or done in a different way. But also because um, there is that tendency that uh, oh, this guy had plenty of money, you just buy your way out. It is a... Bribery is... You could do 10 chapters on that. It's quite an art form. I've sent many people in to do bribery and they've never come back doing it properly. You have to make the person at ease. Especially if you're an outsider or a foreigner. They they take money from the locals, but they all take it in a, in a strange kind of way. That, mm, oh look, it's not for me, it's for my boss. When I was in Pakistan and I wanted to get a visa extension, which you're not supposed to have, I, I'd go there myself and I'd make sure that there's nobody else in the room, which is quite a job in itself, but, you know, get chatting about things. Um, and I'd start it by saying, look, I think your boss might not want to sign off on this one because I've only got the one letter of authority and the things I've seen. But really... I don't know if you can have a word with him, maybe make him understand. 
I hear he's a bit of a crook. Give him some of this. Uh, give him some tea money. You sort it out. You know, I, I know. I know you're a good guy. You don't do any of these things, but so you're making him feel like even if the shit hits the fan, you're never going to tell the story like this was the one who was. Yeah, I think off. it's a very um, hard trait to learn, especially if you come from a first world country like England, because we're not used to bribing people, so we're not very good at it. Maybe you come from a Pakistan or a Thailand or something like this. Maybe these people. Well, they get shy too. Inherently, they, yeah, they're not yeah, slightly they, better. You would have thought. They. Um, they spend much more time on it than... Uh, look, some places, I've gone through some r rural borders where you just drive through in a taxi and some guy half asleep. Is he the real guy? Who knows? He's the guy that's wearing that uniform that night. You put the 500 note in the passport and hand it over. He just takes the money out and off you go. But that's a different read on it. And you've also got to make sure you're not more valuable in their clutches than not. Yes. When I was, as if we go on with this long enough, people will find about when I again ended up in near on death row, but this time in Karachi. Even when I was cleared of all the charges, set for release, had bail papers for the next court appearance, everything in place, the, 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 chief, the prison governor, the head warden, wouldn't let me out unless I paid him 25,000 US dollars. I said to him, you've never seen that money in your life, you wouldn't know what it was. Go fuck yourself. And it went off. Now, the way it had to be done was subtle. A guy who was an imam from a local school was sent down. He'd also done a bit of time, but that's another story. He went down and said, uh, I've been asked to come down for the Gora. Well, yeah, we don't have anybody here like that. Yeah, 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 yes you do. David, oh, him, yeah, well, no, he's not coming anywhere. Look, I've been asked to come and pick him up. I don't really give a shit whether I pick him up or not. Just doing a favour for the guy across town. I can't hang around. Oh, well, look, you, know, well, you might as well go then. All I'm paying is this 500, which is like you know, five pounds. And that's to... Um, the guard on the gate that does that. So, what what you if you played it right, the big cheese has gone off on a hump and got sick of waiting. The one on the gate will ask his subordinate to go and get uh, the white man and bring him over, mm. because the other one's about to stomp off and he doesn't doesn't care. He's got he's no relative of his and just been asked to, to him just a driver. That's all. So he's either going to get that money now in his pocket or he's getting nothing. He'll go for that. And uh, anybody who thinks that money talks has to be prepared to go to the language school of money, which is a, a long and arduous course of um, um, engineering. After all, um, in a way, you could say that everybody is subject to an influence of, of one kind or another. Um, all, all the and I don't know, there's so many disadvantages to bribing um, your way through something. Somebody knows something about you. If you say these passports, uh, if we want to get a lot of these, and we hear there's somebody in the passport office can get them for us, what do we know once we've got one? That the same guy has got one for dozens of other people. Mm. That some of those people are going to be arrested. 
that the investigators will look at what the common denominator was, and that was that they were all from the desk of this man. And when they go through all of the ones he's issued that don't quite smell right or seem to belong into, you know, that's a face I recognise, you're going to come up. So if you can avoid it, children, don't bribe. Most likely it'll blow up in your face, but even if you get it right, all you will have done is created a partner for life in whoever now knows your secrets. Absolutely. So uh, listen, listen to the lessons from <laughs> someone with a bit of experience in this mm. field. So like I said, David, I think that's a great point to leave it at today. Is, uh, I'd like to very much thank you for your time again, and hopefully down the line when the time suits you, we can sit down for a third time. But most importantly, guys, I'd like to stress to support David, go to his YouTube channel, check out his books, audio books. If you haven't seen them, his movie, Go and see that. I believe you were... Oh, no, that wasn't really my movie. It was an old telly movie on uh, Australian television, the Underbelly series. Yeah, I, I've, I've, right. I'm a huge fan of the Underbelly series. Oh, right. I love well, it. it was, I noticed that Netflix is running one version of it, yeah. which is now uh, 45 minutes shorter than the original. Mm. So I'm not sure what the original was, but it's probably... And it was um, my time there when I was in my early 20s. So uh, it, it's got its merits. It's... it's uh, entertaining. So it's most importantly guys, the YouTube channel, the books, and because that actually directly supports David. And mm. obviously get in touch with him, send an email, get in touch with him. And if you've got any questions. Well or, if you go to my channel you'll find uh, the contact points down there. So, so you can get um, your entertainment that way too. Thank you very much David. Thank you for sharing your stories once again. Um, Anytime what an insane mm. insane life you've led my friend. Well I've survived and yeah, I'm still alive so that's something. And congratulations, I must say, after this one on your escape. It was, um, yeah, fantastic. It was necessary. Yeah, yes. I mean, I've never a, uh, tried to suggest it's a crime, but when something's so unjust in terms of what happened there, then it's, it's the only course of action. Sometimes it is. As uh, many people said to me, it had to be done. And I was lucky. Yeah, so it's absolutely incredible. So um, well done. Thank you, David. And until next time. Cheers. See you soon. Bye.